It is so good to be with you this morning, be with God's people. Um, I just wanted to open up and say thank you so much, each of you. Um, This week has been overwhelming in so many ways. Uh, For those of you who don't know, on Sunday, I was uh, was installed as as a a pastor here, and um, I... And so thank you so much, though, sincerely for, for the encouragements, the congrats, and blessings, and, and just everything. Um, I was humbled, really humbled to receive your love in such a way. Um, and well, before we get into the word this morning, I wanted to just take a moment to respond uh, to the call that was put on me on Sunday. And so my beloved church family... Uh, I, Joshua Balsamo, received the high call to be a pastor, shepherd, overseer of Integrity Church. I received this high honor with great fear, with great joy, and with the utmost reverence. With great fear of God, knowing that there will come a day where I will give an account for how I did my duty. With great joy, having the deepest desire to serve my Lord and serve his people, and with great reverence, fully believing that the office of overseer, pastor, is a noble task, is a high honor, and it deserves tremendous diligence, sincere care, and enduring faithfulness. And so this day forth, so long as the Lord shall have me, I commit to serve the Lord by serving his people here at Integrity Church. I commit to being a faithful shepherd of this church, one that guards and guides his flock in grace, in truth, and sincere love. I commit to being a faithful teacher of God's word, one that holds fast to sound doctrine and does not compromise for any person or thing. I commit to being a godly example here and beyond these four walls, to be above reproach in every way, to be holy, upright, humble, disciplined, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, gentle, peaceful, not a lover of money, to be a Christ-like example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. And foremost, I commit to be a faithful follower of Jesus our Lord, believing that apart from him I can't do anything. It is through him alone and the empowering of his spirit that I can maintain these commitments to you and to him and so accomplish the work he has for me. And so, my dear church, this is my covenant before you, before the God that we serve. And I will love you and love God. I could not be more thankful, more excited to be here. And so um, with that, can I pray for us? Father God, we come before you, we come before you, and we give you great thanks. Thanks for this family here that you have established by the sending of your son, by his death and resurrection. Thank you that we are one, 
one with God and one with one another here. God, I pray your blessing over this congregation, over your people. I pray that you would use me in ways that you have set before me. I pray, Lord, for the unity and love of this congregation, that it would um, overflow for one, toward one another and to those outside. God, I pray for this morning. We thank you for your word, that it is truth, that it is a light to our path, a light in the midst of this dark world that we're living in. I pray, O oh God, that as we read your word, that you would teach us. I pray, God, as we see your mercy, that you would transform us. I pray, Lord, that as we see your love, that it would drive us ever nearer to your heart. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So I am super excited uh, to begin a two-week series, actually, um, this morning in the book of Jonah. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this famous story, this famous tale. Uh, perhaps you, like me, have been forever tainted by the, the VeggieTales version of it. Has anybody watched that? <laughs> All right, so let's try hard to, to put that version aside. Jonah is not an asparagus, okay? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're in a good place to hear this morning. <laughs> so the story of Jonah is an amazing story of God's great mercy. His mercy. What is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is, as I would put it in a single phrase, mercy is compassion or forgiveness extended to someone unworthy. To be merciful, in other words, is to withhold what a wrongdoer deserves. Here's an example. If I committed a crime worthy of death, deserving of death, and the judge does not sentence me to death, the judge would be showing me mercy, right? Well, as we'll see very clearly in the book of Jonah this morning, our God is merciful. He is merciful. And I hope to delight in the mercy of God as we read through this story of Jonah together. So please turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. It's a minor prophet. You can also follow along on the screen. Um, it's only four chapters, a short little book, and yet we could probably spend a long time going through it. Um, so the plan is, it's a two-week series. We're going to do chapters one and two today, chapters three and four next Sunday, if you will have me back. And um, I just, I'll warn you beforehand that um, we're going to be doing a lot of reading today, but I'm not too concerned because it's really a fascinating story. So hopefully you're getting there. Um, 
Just some brief context. Jonah was a prophet in Israel during the era of kings. All right, so in the Old Testament, first and second kings is known as the era of kings, the, the, the period of time in Israel where kings ruled. And this time was a darker time in Israel's history because a lot of the kings, as many of you know, of you know um, a lot of the kings turned from God, rebelled against God, turned to idols, turned to wickedness, and in doing so also turned God's people away. And so Jonah had a really important role here as prophet. His role was to point the people of God back to God, to be a preacher, to carry the word of God to God's people, to God's people, Israel, to God's people, Israel, is what Jonah thought. And that's where we're going to pick up. Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So here, Jonah receives word from God to go and preach to Nineveh, non-Israelite, pagan Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city in the Assyrian Empire. That was the major power of the day. And the people of Nineveh were known to be notoriously wicked. Notoriously wicked. The prophet Nahum, two books after Jonah, calls Nineveh the city of bloodshed. And these people, the Ninevites, were the enemies of Israel. They'd done great evil to God's people and to all the neighboring nations. And here God says to Jonah, Go, arise and go, preach to these Ninevites, these pagans, these wicked people your enemies. And see, notice Jonah did arise not to answer God's call, but to run from God's call. See, he did not want to preach to these Ninevites, these pagans. Instead, he intended to go to Tarshish. Tarshish, Tarshish is a city a thousand miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And so with his own money, Jonah buys a ticket, gets into a ship, and heads to Tarshish, hoping to escape the presence of the Lord who called him to preach in Nineveh. Let's continue, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. 
And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. See, Jonah in his foolishness thought that he could flee the presence of the Lord. But the Lord who was not confined to the borders of Israel made that very clear to Jonah that he could not flee the presence of God. There was no escaping the word that God had put to Jonah. And the God who created the sea and directs the winds sent a storm. A storm upon Jonah's ship, the one in which he was trying to flee. The sailors on the ship were understandably terrified. And what do they do? In fear of their lives, in desperation, they start hurling the cargo overboard into the sea. They're throwing their own possessions into the sea, hoping that they might escape this storm by removing the weight of the ship. What they didn't know was that the weight of the cargo was nothing compared to the weight of Jonah's sin. While this went on, what's going on here? Jonah is sleeping below deck. And so understandably, the captain comes down, he sees him sleeping and goes, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Arise, seek the face of your God on our behalf. But as you know, Jonah had no intention to seek the face of his God. He arose to flee God. And so look at Jonah's response to the captain. There is none. Quiet. Silent. Verse 7. And, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. See, the, the sailors now gather together and they cast lots to try and figure out whose fault this storm is. They basically take the magic eight ball and shake it, hoping to find out whose account this evil has come upon them, whose burden is weighing down this ship. And the lots fall on Jonah. And now there is no escape. Jonah can't be silent anymore. 
They go up to him. They question him. What, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What people are you? And now cornered, he reveals his identity. He says, I'm a Hebrew whose God made the sea and dry land. Whose God made the sea and dry land. And understandably, the men were exceedingly afraid. See, they were afraid of the storm. It makes mention of that just a little while before. But now they're exceedingly afraid because it connects for them. The, the man who is fleeing his God serves the God who created the sea and dry land. Surely it is this man's fault. Surely it is this man's burden weighing down the ship. Surely Jonah's God was displeased with Jonah. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a great sacrifice, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So now that these men, they know the cause, they ask Jonah, It's your fault. What do we do about it? What do we do to fix this, to save our lives? And Jonah says, Hurl me into the sea. Hurl me into the sea. He says, I'm the burden on this ship. Like the cargo, hurl me into the sea. See, interestingly, these men didn't want to throw Jonah into the sea. They, they rode hard to try and get back to shore. And I just find this really ironic because if you remember, Jonah refused to preach to pagans. That's why this whole problem is going on in the first place. He refused to preach to pagans, and yet these pagan sailors don't want to harm the man who is essentially about to cause them to drown. It's obvious that, it's obvious that they cared more about him than he cared about them. And this is fascinating. When, when they realize that they can't escape the storm, when they realize they, they got to throw this guy overboard, what do they do? They plead before God their own innocence in the matter. And so reluctantly, they hurled Jonah into the sea and the storm ceased. You got to just imagine being there. Chaos 
massive waves crashing overboard. You're fearing for your life that you're about to sink. So you're throwing your possessions over. Winds howling, darkness surrounding. They throw Jonah in and calm seas, smooth sailing. Upon seeing this miracle, they recognize the full power of God. And it says, they feared the Lord exceedingly. They who feared the storm and then exceedingly feared the situation now exceedingly fear God, the Lord, the God of Israel. So much so that they offer sacrifices to him and make vows to the God of Israel. Pagans who turn to the God of Israel. We'll pick up on that theme next week. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So, You see, Jonah's disobedience here should have resulted in death. The consequence of his sin should have been death. And Jonah was fully aware of this. And so he was willing to suffer this consequence. He says, throw me overboard. I deserve it. But God, who's rich in mercy, had appointed a great fish had appointed appointed a great fish a fish that would swallow him whole without harming him a fish that would preserve his life for 3 days and 3 nights jonah was in this fish and from the belly of the fish jonah calls out to the lord he finally seeks the face of the Lord his God, and he repents. We pick up in chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. For the sake of time, we're not going to go through each of these passages, but what I want to highlight here is this last phrase. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. You see, Jonah's saying, essentially, I'm far from you. I've ran from you. I am nowhere near you. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. In that day and age, the presence of the Lord resided in the temple. And so Jonah is saying, essentially, I'm coming back. I'm looking to you. It's to you I return. I'll seek your presence. I'm not running anymore. Verse 5. 
The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This last phrase is key. It says, What I vowed, I will pay. In other words, what you called me to, what I signed up for to be a prophet, I'll do even though I don't want to. And now humbled, he declares, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If God wants Jonah to preach to the pagan Ninevites, he will do that now. Because it is not up to Jonah who gets to hear the message of salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And whom God says, Go, preach, Jonah will now do. Verse 10 And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah is delivered from death. The fish spits him out onto dry land, and the Lord, in his mercy, gives Jonah his life back. Now, death was probably the smell of his body after being a fish for three days, but here he is nonetheless restored back to land, back to life, and back to his mission that God had called him to. Now, I know we read a lot, but my goodness, what a story we have before us. And so with uh, the remaining eight hours, we're going to go verse by verse. <laughs> and, um, no, what, what I just want to do is, for the sake of time, I want to just hover over the big picture of the story here, this amazing story. I want to really take some time and just behold the rich mercy of God in this story. Because that's the big idea of the book of Jonah. I'll just say it now. You can write it down. The big idea of the book of Jonah is God's abundant mercy towards unworthy people. God's abundant mercy towards unworthy people. See, the character, the main character in this story is not Jonah. As present of a character as he is here, God is the center of this narrative. God is the center of this story. His great mercy is what is in focus. And we see his merciful light shine radiantly throughout this text. 
So together, I just want to consider, want to highlight four glimpses of God's mercy in this text. Four great glimpses of God's mercy. And believe me, there are more than four. Um, but these are the four dominant, dominating displays of God's mercy in this story. So let's look together. Firstly, we see God's mercy in his command to Jonah. God's mercy in his command to Jonah. See, right from the start, God commands Jonah to go and to preach to Nineveh. He calls Jonah to go and preach against the wickedness of Nineveh and warn them of imminent destruction. I want you to consider that for a second this morning. God wants to warn Nineveh, this wicked city. Warn Nineveh of incoming destruction. I mean, why doesn't God just destroy Nineveh right then and there? They were fully deserving of it. Jonah knew that. I mean, these people, the Ninevites, were killing God's people, the Israelites. And God wants to warn them and inevitably give them a chance to respond. This is mercy. This is mercy. Church, have you ever considered the call to repentance an act of mercy? You know, in our culture, we're so afraid to offend people. We want to share Jesus, but we're so afraid that Jesus' words and commands might offend somebody, and so we find it hard. Here's the reality, though. The gospel is offensive. No matter how you package it, the gospel is offensive, and if it's not, you're not preaching the gospel. I'm not saying that we are to go out and offend people with the gospel. <laughs> Don't take that the wrong way. I'm saying the gospel is offensive. Think about it. The gospel calls us to repent, to give our lives to Christ. That is a seriously offensive message to somebody who thinks they have it all together and who wants to serve themselves. There's no way around it. The gospel is offensive. But don't think for a second that the gospel is mean. The gospel is merciful. The gospel gives life. The message of repentance is the message of salvation. And that is the message of mercy. The message of repentance is the message of mercy. Don't forget that ever. And don't be discouraged if someone doesn't respond in the way that you have to the message of mercy. Secondly, we see God's mercy in the midst of Jonah's rebellion. 
Jonah's response to God's command is he runs immediately, right? He runs, and not only that, he runs literally a thousand miles in the opposite direction. I mean, talk about making a, a statement. And what's God's response to Jonah's running? Mercy. Mercy. God could have destroyed Jonah the second that he said no. I mean, if I'm just being honest, if it's me, I say, Jonah, go do this. He says no. Okay, boom, dead. Next guy, come here. Go. No. God doesn't do that. God in his mercy in his great mercy, even lets Jonah wander a bit. He doesn't destroy him right away. Instead, he's patient with Jonah. And this is mercy. I mean, how many times can we, brothers and sisters, look back in our lives and say, wow, you know, God had every right to strike me dead right there. Every right to strike me dead right there in my rebellion in my refusal to obey, in my selfishness, my pride, whatever it be. And yet, here I am because of his mercy. I find that the older that I get, the more I come to know the Lord and his, his standard, his holiness, the greater I understand just how great his mercy is in my life. Thirdly, we see God's mercy in his pursuit of Jonah. He's patient. Jonah runs. But in his mercy, he doesn't let Jonah run too far. Right? He, he goes after Jonah. And he stops him in his tracks. In his great love, God disciplines Jonah. And Jonah gets caught up in a storm sent by God. And he's thrown overboard and is swallowed by a fish sent by God. This fish, this storm, was not intended to kill Jonah, but to restore him back to God. Now, I, I, I think so many times when we hear this story and when it's been told, we often see the fish as the, the, the discipline, the, the punishment that Jonah gets. Well, maybe to some degree, I'm sure it wasn't nice being in a fish for three days. But here's the reality. God saved Jonah's life through the fish. The fish was the means by which God showed mercy to Jonah. Jonah would have drowned in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea had it not been for God appointing a fish to swallow him whole. Look what Jonah says in in 2.5. The waters closed in to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Oh yeah, Jonah, you were going to drown. The deep surrounded you. It was over. (laughs) But God appointed a fish to preserve Jonah. God disciplines Jonah And this is mercy. Have you considered in your own lives God's discipline to be an act of mercy? You know, so so oftentimes we we suffer the consequence of a mistake we made or or just a regret or, 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 or sin. 
and we think it to be simply God's bitter anger towards us. Now don't, don't twist it. God hates sin. But God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines because he loves. He disciplines to bring us back to himself, to restore us to his side. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 makes this so beautifully clear. It says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We see God's merciful discipline all over Jonah's life here. I see it in my life too. And I thank God for his merciful discipline. Lastly, we see God's forgiveness as the, as the climax of his mercy in this story. Right? In the belly of the fish, Jonah comes to his senses finally. He repents, vowing to do what, he's, what he was commissioned to do. And what happens? God hears him. Jonah refuses to hear God, runs in the opposite direction, and even after his stubborn disobedience, his running, his hiding, his failure, his sin, God still heard him. Not only that, he forgives him and delivers him from death. He brought up his life from the pit, as Jonah says. And this is mercy, rich mercy given to an unworthy man. Having seen this, I can only conclude this, that God's mercy transcends Jonah's rebellion His mercy is vaster than the distance that Jonah tried to run. It is deeper than the ocean that he was thrown into. His mercy is greater than the fish that swallowed him whole, and it is firmer than the ground that he was spit upon. And this is mercy, the mercy of our God, the the God whom Jonah served, and brothers and sisters, the God who we serve our God. See, while you and I aren't Jonah, we're no different. That's the reality. We're no different than Jonah. See, every one of us, like Jonah, have sinned. Every one of us have rebelled against God. In our own ignorance, we ran from him. And the burden of our sin was upon us from the moment we were born. And it would have weighed us down, down to the depths of hell. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Every person who sinned deserves death. And yet even before we cried for help, God heard our need for forgiveness our need to be free from sin and death, our, our need for new life. And so God sent his son 
Jesus to take upon himself the burden, the weight of my sin, of your sin. He took our sin upon himself and died so that we might be forgiven and made clean, so that we might have freedom from sin and death. As Bob read before in Ephesians, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even while we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. I gave the analogy before. If I committed a crime worthy of death and the judge did not sentence me to death, he'd be showing mercy. This is not an analogy. This is our reality, brothers and sisters. We were doomed, dead in our trespasses and sins, with no way out. But God, who is rich in mercy, freed us from death, from judgment, from the chains of sin, from separation with God. How? Through Jesus. He took our crime, the weight of our sin, our burden upon himself, and he endured the consequence, and he set us free. And here's the point. The the story of Jonah, it points us to the mercy of God, and the mercy of God is fully displayed in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection for you and for me. In fact, the prophetic book of Jonah is prophetic in that it foreshadows the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear the words of, Ma- of, of our Lord in Matthew 12, 40. This is what Jesus says. For just as Jonah, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, Jesus uses this story of Jonah to refer to his own death and resurrection three days later. Jesus' death and resurrection is the greatest display of mercy ever shown to mankind. See, just like Jonah, Jesus was hurled into the depths of death. But unlike Jonah, who carried his own sin, Jesus carried my sin, your sin. Unlike Jonah, who only flirted with death, Jesus tasted death. See, by God's mercy, Jonah was delivered from death. By God's mercy, Jesus died so that we could be delivered from death. But Jesus, who tasted death, like Jonah, was brought back. See, he who really did no sin, he who knew no sin, 
could not be held down by the grave. And so three days later, as you know, and as we confess and we believe, God raised our Lord by the power of the Spirit to life. And in, do, in so doing, proved that the work that he did on that cross was accomplished. God's rich mercy given, offered permanently to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we wrap up, I have one single point of application and it's this hold fast to Jesus hold fast to Jesus the fullness of mercy seek his face in the morning and the evening walk with him moment by moment follow him and his ways day by day in the workplace, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, in the supermarket, in your schools, at the gym. His presence does not leave. His presence is constant. And so don't ignore his call like Jonah. Don't wander from him. Don't hide from his face. Don't ignore his word. Hold fast to Jesus, the anchor of our souls, because he loves you. He loves you. you know, perhaps you're hearing this message this morning and you don't feel like God could possibly be merciful towards you. If you feel the burden of your sin, the burden of the mistake you made is too great. There's no way that God could possibly see me with love. The news is we're not worthy. We're not worthy of it. We're not. That's why it's mercy. It's mercy because we're not worthy. If we were worthy, it would not be mercy. But God is merciful. And should you ever doubt God's mercy, look to the cross. Remember the scars of Jesus, our Savior, who bled and died for you. Why? Because of his love for us and his great mercy. His mercy is rich. His grace is abundant. And his love is deep. So hold fast to him who holds you. Pray with me. Father God, we are just in awe, beholding your mercy in the story of Jonah and evermore in the gospel of Jesus Christ.
God, we are not worthy. There's nothing that we could do, nothing that we could say, nothing about us that deserves what you give us. And yet, God, because of your mercy and your grace, you cherish us. You even call us children. We are children because of the work of our Lord. And so I pray, Father, that we would ever be transformed by this truth of your mercy, your grace, your love in our lives. We pray, O oh God, that we would never that we would never hide from you, that we would never run from your presence, but that we would seek you morning and night at all times because you're with us. You don't forsake us. I pray, oh God, that you would take all that we have received and let it flow out of us to the people here, to the people outside of these four walls. Let it be all for your glory. For the name of Christ, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.